We continue this sermon series called The Waiting Room. And how about this worship this morning? It had been wonderful, fantastic worship. And you're in for a special treat because it's not over yet, okay? So, uh, you know, Grace Marie uh, uh, is speaking over in the auditorium this morning on this message, and she put a lot of great work into it. Um, she's one of our great young leaders in the church. She is our new director of worship arts, giving oversight to her entire worship experience here at Mount Horeb. And again, she'll be actually singing uh, in her sermon today. And so, well, it might be a little bit embarrassing. If you want to get up now and go watch her and listen to her, uh, I would understand that. Uh, that's okay. Um, but, uh, you know, she has one of these. She did a, a wonderful CD. She's not selling them today, but, uh, but she has a CD. But she's a great singer. She has a CD, but she doesn't have one of these, right? See this? This is an album, and I'd have to explain this to the crowd in the auditorium, what this actually is. But this is a picture of an album. Uh, this is an album that Lynn and I uh, were part of in 1977. Uh, and so you see the picture on the back there is our picture of our group as we sang together back in the day. And, uh, and, and this music has not been heard in a church uh, in, in over 40 years. And, and we played a little bit of it in uh, 9 o'clock, and Lynn was here, and her mother was here this weekend with us uh, because she's here for the Isaacs concert. She didn't come to hear this, uh, but, uh, and it won't be nearly as good as the Isaacs. But we played a little clip from it, so I'm going to play just a little bit because Grace Tree is going to be singing, and I want you all to get cheated. So here's a little bit of uh, a clip from, uh, from uh, uh, 1977. Not as good as the Isaacs, you know, I, I granted, but uh, uh, sure. Again, 40 years plus since that's been <laughs> played in a service or sung in a service like that, anyway. And, uh, and we were doing contemporary worship uh, back in the day before it was even uh, popular. Uh, we were very, very uh, cutting edge in our, you can see that wonderful album cover there. But uh, uh, we, uh, uh, we, we did a song uh, with... Brother Jim McKenzie was a Baptist preacher in my hometown of Kentucky, and he uh, helped inspire this record, and then he came to Conway and did Lynn and I's wedding uh, in her Baptist church, and my Methodist pastor assisted. But uh, we dedicated, I dedicated this album to him, and this is one of our more contemporary uh, arrangements that we did. This is just for a second. Indulge me for a moment longer. This song is dedicated to Brother Jim McKenzie. I was a running from my master. I went a trying every new thing that I'd find. My life turned into one disaster. Cause without the Lord, I almost blew my mind. I was sitting in the front 
We had a lot of fun with that, and uh, again, that's been sitting on a shelf for over 40 years, and they, I got the team to put it into digital format, and that's uh, so why we can share it with you today. But again, music uh, has been a part of my life for a long time, and, and, and worshiping the Lord, learning how to worship the Lord. I never forget my freshman year in college at Moorhead State University. My roommate was not a believer. And uh, he had come through a bad experience that summer. His girlfriend had broke up with him, and he was a, a new freshman. And he was, in that day, what we called in a heartbreak hotel, right? He was crushed. Uh, he, was, uh, he was in distress. He was, he was uh, hurting. And uh, I remember every night, he would put a stack of albums on the turntable, and we would listen to songs like this. And Luke's going to play one of those songs. It used to be one of my favorite oldie, oldie songs by the Shy Lights. Remember this song? Have you seen her? Tell me. Have you seen her? Thank you, Luke. <laughs> you know, John, John Kingsley played that song over and over and over <laughs> for a whole semester waiting to get over uh, his broken heart um, there. That, and so I had to switch roommates. Uh, I, uh, I, uh, I tried to get him to go to worship with me and go to church with me, and he, he just refused to go. And so after a semester, I said, I can't take this anymore. Because he would, he would, he would uh, remain in that waiting room of grief and sorrow and couldn't break out of, of that place he was at. I don't, I don't think he made it back to the second semester, which is probably why I changed roommates. We've been talking about waiting rooms of life, about how waiting rooms are full of uncertainty. And the reality is, is that some of you this morning are in a waiting room, and, or you've just come out of a waiting room, or you're maybe preparing to go into a waiting room. We've talked about how God is always with us in waiting rooms, and God is always up to something bigger. Last week in the auditorium, I preached a message on waiting rooms, and I talked about that sometimes we are put into waiting rooms because of our own disobedience. We, we don't live into God's purpose, and we, our disobedience puts us in the waiting room. I preached on Samson and talked about how Samson, life pretty much got delayed and he never really fulfilled his purpose until the very last days of his life uh, when, because of his choices. But also I talked about in that sermon how other people's choices sometimes will put us in a waiting room. Uh, we didn't choose to be there. We didn't choose what happened, but they made choices that put us in a waiting room. And so this morning, we're going to have uh, a different type of sermon. It's about music. It's about how God wants to wor us to worship him in our, in our waiting rooms. You know, waiting rooms, you know, mo some of them have music playing, you know, up in the ceiling while you're waiting or, you know, kind of give you, I guess, some comfort. But music has a way of doing that. And God's people in history have used worship as a way of, of, of waiting to see what is next. And, and in our text this morning, we have a story of Paul and Silas who are waiting in a prison cell. Waiting. Now, a little bit of the backstory of what got them into prison is we'll pick it up in, uh, in chapter 16, verse 16. One day, uh, as we were going down to the place of prayer, this is, this is Paul, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. 
Now think about that for a minute. You have a slave girl who is who's a fortune teller. Uh, that would mean that she was in a waiting room, right? I'm sure she didn't choose to be a slave girl. And so she's in a waiting room in a place where, where maybe she doesn't want to be. And she earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God and they have come to tell you how to be saved. Or the original text says, a way of salvation. She probably believed, as did the Romans, Romans there uh, in, in Philippi, that there were many ways to come to God. And, and it says then, the next verse, this went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And instantly it left her that very hour. So you have this, this, this event that unfolds where you have this, this young girl who has a, a spirit about her, and, and the Bible says a demon that allowed her to predict the future. And, and, and Paul uh, sees that she is being exploited by her owners. Uh, prophecy for profit. And, and, and she's in this waiting, holding pattern in her life. And so Paul exercises this evil spirit. But when he exercised the evil spirit, he also exercised the owner's personal source of income because they were using this young woman as a source of income. And Paul set her free from both of her tormentors, the demon and the slave owners. And I would just say to you that the gospel of Jesus always has an impact on the marketplace, that God's power can impact the market, the marketplace. And it says here, but when her master's, uh, her, her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. You talk about overreach, a little bit of injustice here for delivering a, a slave girl from being exploited. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. You see, Paul and Silas were being punished for addressing what they perceived as a wrong in, in, that, in, that, in that town in Philippi. They were dragged before the officials. They were, they were beaten. They were chained. They, they were put in maximum security. And Paul and Silas are now in a waiting room, in a prison waiting room, locked in a cell. And folks, you and I sometimes find ourselves in a waiting room. It may not be a maximum security prison, but it's a place that we feel like we are chained or we can't escape or we can't beat something. And, and, and I want you to know this, that people are watching Christians, watching you and watching me and how we respond in the waiting rooms of life. They're watching how we suffer. They're, they're, they're listening to how we pray. They're watching how we worship. And our decisions during difficult times in the waiting rooms of life have a major impact on how others or if others will respond to Jesus. 
People are watching you in the waiting rooms of life. And how will you and I respond? Now, it's interesting to note in the text that Paul and Silas, they don't blame the government officials. They don't um, criticize the decision, the, the, the sentence that they've been put under. They don't com complain about the corrupt slave owners. They, they're not working on an escape plan. Instead of, uh, they don't worry while they're waiting. They, they don't wallow in their pain and their misery. They don't wander from their faith. And what's most important is they don't waste the opportunity. Every part of life is an opportunity. It's an opportunity for us to bring God glory. It's an opportunity for us to, to, to reveal the presence of Jesus Christ in our life. And so I think sometimes you and I may end up staying in a waiting room longer than we should because we're too busy looking for an escape. We're trying to get out of that place. And God is trying to use us in that place. You know, worship, I believe, when we were in a waiting room, is an expression of faith. When we worship, when we're in the waiting room, when we're in a difficult place, when we're maybe even like Paul and Silas in a prison cell, is they worshiped and they prayed. I would suggest to you this morning that it takes more faith to praise God than it does to pray to God. Think about that. When we, you and I pray to God, we're, we're, we're asking God for a, a solution. We're asking God to make a way out. When we praise God in the waiting room, we're praising God for the victory. We're praising him that he's, that he's already made a way and that he is going to deliver us. Praise is, 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 is celebration of what God has done and what God is about to do in our lives. You think about the anguish of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. As he prayed, he asked his disciples to wait on him and to stay awake, right? And to pray, and they, they, they couldn't do that. They fell asleep. But Jesus was praying for what was about to come in his life. He was, he was in, in, a, in a kind of a waiting holding pattern. And when we get to Easter in a couple weeks, we're going to talk about waiting in the, in the context of, of death and resurrection and that whole time frame. But, but you got this period of waiting. And what does God want us to do while we're waiting? What is God trying to tell us in our waiting? I read about a guy named by the name of Ivan Davinovich, who was in a Soviet prison. And one day he was praying and another prisoner said, prayer won't help you get out of here any faster. And Ivan answered, I'm not praying to get out of here. I'm praying to do God's will while I'm in here. Isn't that a great prayer to pray? Is God, help me to do your will in this place of waiting. I think that's what Paul and Silas were praying and praising God about. Not for their rescue, but who God wanted them to rescue in the prison. Not to get them out of the prison, but for God to deliver others from their personal chains and their prisons. Now, it says that Paul and Silas were praying and praising God with hymns. Hymns. The hymns that you and I sing. Praising God with like, hymns like that. that because they, they were declaring that God was good and that God was with them and, and God was for them. Hymns of praise. 
You know, if you look at the text and, of, of this passage, and this is where Grace Marie did a lot of good work on this, uh, that, that singing hymns to God means to sing songs of praise celebrating God. And those songs celebrating God would have probably come from what is called the Great Halah, which is Psalms 113 through Psalm 118. So these were words they're singing, Paul and Silas were singing, that they would have been singing as children at the temple. These were familiar songs. They recited them, they sang them, they heard them at ceremonies and at feasts, pointing people to the greatness and the goodness of God. So if you take that word halah, which is the word from the, the Psalms, Psalm 113 to 118, and you add it to the abbreviation for Jehovah, you come up with the word hallelujah. It's, the, it's, the, it's where we get the word hallelujah, which means praise ye the Lord. In the prison cell, chained in stocks, Paul and Silas are going, praise ye the Lord. Reciting from Psalms, perhaps 113 through 118. Let me tell you, what I learned from that is this wasn't the first time Paul and Silas had sung these songs. They had been singing these songs for a long time. And right now, today, if you're not in a waiting room, you need to learn the song. It's a lot better to know the songs when you go into the waiting room than to be learning them while you're in the waiting room. Be prepared for what's coming in your life. You know, worship needs to be our first response, not our last resort. It needs to be what we do first in the waiting room, not what we do last. Worship grounded in faith, goodness, God's faithfulness, and God's purpose. So worship is an expression of faith, but also worship is an encouragement. It is an encouragement. I love this statement. Worship will get you through the tougher times in your life because it shifts your focus from the problem to the problem solver. See, my friends, you and I worship the one who can solve the problem. We don't worry about the problem. We worship the one who can solve the problem. You know, I read something, and I'm trying to remember it in my head right now, but it's something about we need to not talk about our mountains, but talk to the God who can move the mountains, right? A lot of times we spend a lot of time talking about our mountains instead of talking about the God who can move our mountains. Worship is about encouragement. It's an encouragement to those in the waiting rooms of life. You know, I believe when we worship God in the waiting rooms that the Holy Spirit always shows up that God's Spirit is present with us. It may not be spectacular when you're worshiping, but it's always supernatural, right? I mean, when I'm singing, sometimes it's not very spectacular. You just, you just heard that, right? But it's always supernatural because the Holy Spirit is present. One of the songs we sing in the auditorium is one of my favorite songs. It says something like this, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill this atmosphere with your glory. Can't you imagine that's what Paul and Silas were praying? Holy Spirit, you're welcome here in this prison. You're welcome here in this waiting room. Come and flood this place with your atmosphere for your glory. God, it's what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence. My friends, when you and I are overcome by God's presence, it doesn't matter whether we're in a prison cell or a waiting room or in a hospital, but when God's presence is with us, there is peace, and there is power, 
and there, there is an expectation that God is going to do something great. I love what uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says, and let us not neglect our meeting together or our worshiping together, as some people do, but encourage one another through worship. See, worship is an encouragement. Worship is never, hear this, worship is never just about you. First of all, it's always about God. But secondly, your worship will encourage the person beside you. Your worship will encourage the person behind you. On any given weekend, there are people that come here that need to be encouraged by your worship. Do you hear that? So, church, I'm telling you, we need to take worship up a notch. I'm talking not talking about this team up here. They are taking it up a notch. You need to take it up a notch, right? You need to get into the singing. You need to get into the worship. You need to worship the Lord, amen? I mean, in the prison cell, Paul and Silas are worshiping. And I love it, it says, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Other people were listening. A few, uh, a few weeks ago, Lynn and I were blessed to be at the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington. And on Thursday evening, after the big breakfast on Thursday morning, there was another gathering. And we were, we were, we were thrilled to know that uh, Chris Tomlin, who I believe is one of the most prolific songwriters in the world, was the song, he, he led worship for us. And, and, and if you've never been in the presence of Chris Tomlin when he's leading worship, it's pretty special. And I felt the Holy Spirit moving in that place of about 3,000 people as we stood together and we sang Praise God there in Washington, D.C. And, and God's Spirit is moving, and I'm, I'm feeling moved by the Spirit. And after, after it got over, we were about to close. It was near the end, and a guy walked up and tapped me on the back and says, Hey, I've been watching you worship, and you really love the Lord, don't you? You know? People are watching you and I worship. And, and there's sometimes some weekends that you need to encourage somebody else by the way you worship. Now, there may be some weekends that you come here in a waiting room. You, you need to be encouraged. But understand that sometimes you need to be the encourager. Worship is a means to evangelism. Again, I'm reading for you the text. It was after midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and other prisoners were listening. And suddenly, isn't it great when, when you hear the word suddenly in church? We Methodists don't handle suddenly very well, you know? You know what do you mean suddenly? Something's going to happen? Yeah, suddenly something happens. There is a, a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed, see, we usually assume the worst, right? When, something, when God does something big, we sometimes assume, oh, no, what, what, what's going on? What's going on? Those people are getting crazy in the church. Um, uh, he assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas, then he brought them out and asked this question. The most important question that, we, that can be asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? You see, my friends, worship is a means to evangelism. There are people who get saved in good worship. We're going to have a concert tonight. The eyes is going to be a heck of a lot better than Faith Incorporated you heard a few minutes ago. <laughs> and somebody could get saved tonight, right? And that's why we do those concerts, right? So that somebody who doesn't know Jesus Christ will hear praise and worship and prayer, and they would ask that question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, 
and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. And then he and everyone in his house were immediately baptized, baptized because of some worship, because of some praise and because of some prayer, God showed up. I believe when we're in the waiting rooms of life and we will take time to pray and we'll take time to worship that God shows up and God shakes things up and God breaks down doors. Now, as I read this text, I know that there's a difference between a natural earthquake and a supernatural earthquake. You see, in a natural earthquake, walls fall down, buildings fall down, and people get hurt. But in a supernatural earthquake, doors get opened, chains fall off, and people get healed. Amen? And people get set free. And that's when worship takes place because God shows up and does something amazing. He breaks chains. Another great artist we had here, Zach Williams, uh, uh, a little over a year ago, has an amazing song. It's one of my favorite songs. I'm sure you've heard it called The Chain Breaker. He says, if you've got pain, he's a pain taker. If you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom or saving, he's a prison shaking savior. If you've got chains, He's a chain breaker. Now, I'm, I don't know what inspired Zach Williams to write that song. I know his testimony was his own personal struggles, but I'm guessing God sent him to uh, Acts chapter 16 about the God who sent a, 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 a shook up a prison that took chains off of people. He goes on to say, we've all, we've all searched for the light of the day in the dead of night. You've been in that waiting room in the dead of the night when you can't sleep because you're stuck in a waiting room. We've all found ourselves worn out from the same old fight. We've all run to things we know just ain't right. There's a better way. There's a better life because he is a chain breaker. Amen? That's why we worship here this morning. We worship because we serve one who can break chains and open doors. There is a chain reaction when there's prayer and there's praise and there's worship. You know, this, this jailer's life has changed. His entire household were saved and baptized. You know, it, it's curious that it happened at midnight. Why, why did God wait to midnight to send this supernatural earthquake? Maybe that's when the jailer was there. It says he was sleeping. Maybe, maybe he wasn't there at, at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Maybe, maybe he was somewhere else at 6 o'clock in the afternoon. But God knew at 12 o'clock... In the morning, he would be there, and he would be moved, and he would be touched. Because, you see, God was going to use that experience, that waiting room, to save somebody's life. Not just somebody's life, but an entire household. Because, see, God always shows up on time when his people praise and pray and worship him. I will tell you this morning that worship is an expectation of deliverance. There is an expectation of deliverance when we worship God that God is about to do something. There's going to be a breakthrough. There's going to be some chains that come off. I love this, these four things for you real quickly. Whenever we worship as an expectation of deliverance, we'll experience God's powerful presence. There is power. There is power in God's presence. 
We also will discover strength and courage for the moment. In that moment right there, we're going to discover some courage in that prison cell, in that waiting room. I love what Psalm 27 says, yet I'm confident I will see, I will see, I will see the Lord's goodness while I'm here in the land of the living. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Are you waiting for an escape route or are you waiting for the Lord? Prayer and praise. And then this is very important. When you're in that worship time and that expectation of deliverance, experience unexpected answers and breakthrough. I, I found in my own life, and I think in Scripture we see it over and over again, I've heard people's stories that, that it, in the midst of the waiting room that something unexpected happens, that God shows up in, in a way that you didn't expect it. And, and it, whether it was a, a word, a sign, or, or something that happened, it was unexpected. I love 1 Corinthians 2, 9. This is what the Scriptures mean when they say, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. Whenever we worship with an expectation of deliverance, we have an increased awareness of the needs of others. We start seeing people around us that are in needs in the waiting room. You know, one of the sad things is whenever Pastor Fay or I or other pastors go to the waiting room to be with somebody who is having surgery or a procedure and to see the people that are sitting there all by themselves, waiting all alone. Folks, there's a lot of people waiting alone that need to know about the love of God. And when you're in that waiting room, maybe God put you there so you can reach out and touch someone else. You know, I've been in those waiting rooms where we have gathered together as a family and had a prayer just before that person was to go back for surgery. And then we've seen somebody and we've invited them to come be a part of the prayer. Or they heard us praying and they said, because they were listening, right? And they said, hey, would you pray for my, my dad? My dad's back there in surgery. Will you pray for him right now? Would you do that for me? See, we need to be aware that there are others in a waiting room. And then I would say to you, most importantly, is wait on God's way out. You know, Paul and Silas waited on God's way out. If you're in a waiting room, wait on God's way out. He will make a way out. You know, my dad, we did his funeral a few weeks ago, and my dad battled cancer for a long time. But my dad always had an expectation of deliverance. He knew that he was not always going to have cancer and that God was going to make a way out of that. And God has made a way out of that. And he has been delivered from that. You see, we anticipate God's deliverance in life in the waiting rooms. You know, some of the great hymns that you and I love are hymns based on times of waiting. Some of those most special hymns are, we know them as African-American spirituals. Great, great hymns that rose out of suffering, rose out of a place of slavery. You know, the African slaves could really relate to uh, Egypt and, and how God's people were, were, were slaves in Egypt. And they wrote songs about the, the deliverance from being in captivity. They wrote songs about the exile. They wrote songs about Babylon and how God would deliver them and one of my favorite old songs is a song you may recognize called Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, right? Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, coming for to carry me home, coming for to carry me home. I looked over Jordan, and what did I see? But a band of angels coming to carry me home. Now, that old hymn was written by Wallace Willis. 
He was a Choctaw free slave in the old Indian Territory in Oklahoma. He wrote it sometime around 1865. And maybe it's why he was working as a slave beside the Red River in Oklahoma that God reminded him of the Red Sea or the Jordan River. Reminded him of Elijah coming in a, in a chariot to take him home to deliver him. It was a pastor who heard him singing it. They put it in words and melody and it went all over Europe. A great hymn, Chariot, Sweet Chariot. Now one of my all-time favorite songs is a song that you know, it's in our hymn book called Precious Lord. How many of you love Precious Lord? Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me home, right? Well, that song was written by an African-American named Thomas Dorsey who was born in Georgia. His father was a Baptist preacher, his mother a piano teacher. And Thomas Dorsey became known as the father of black gospel music. And listen to his story of how he wrote, Precious Lord, take my hand. He says, I was 32 years old and a fairly new husband. My wife, Nettie, and I were in a little apartment in Chicago. One hot August afternoon, I had to go to St. Louis to sing for a revival as the featured soloist. I didn't want to go. Nettie was in the last month of pregnancy with our first child. But people were expecting me in St. Louis. And I went there in that steaming St. Louis heat. And the crowd kept calling for me to sing again and again as people gave their life to Jesus. When I finally sat down, a messenger boy gave me a telegram. I ripped open the envelope and on the yellow sheet were these words, your wife just died. He said, I was crushed. I got back as quick as I could. I learned that Nettie had given birth to a little boy. I swung between grief and joy. Yet that night, the baby died as well. And I buried Nettie and our little boy together in the same casket. And then I fell apart. I got angry at God because he had felt he had done me an injustice. I didn't want to serve him anymore. I didn't want to write any more gospel songs. I was done with God. I was lost in grief. And then I sat down at the piano and I began to play this melody. Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me home, lead me on. See, worship is an expectation of deliverance, that God has a way and God has a plan. Now, all of us know that great, great hymn called Amazing Grace. And the author of that great hymn was John Newton, who was a captain of a slave ship. It was in 1748, during a storm off of the coast of Ireland, that John Newton cried out to God for mercy, to have mercy on his soul. He ended his slave trading career and became a, a pastor ordained in the Church of England. And in 1779, he wrote the words to Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Now, Whitney Phipps, an Afro-American pastor, tells the story. And when he did the research on Amazing Grace, if you look at the history of the song, the words by John Newton, the tune is unknown. Unknown. And he speculates Historians speculate that the tune came from those slaves in the belly of those ships 
as they hummed that tune that John Newton wrote his words to. See, an African sorrow chant of expectation of deliverance. Did you know that the estimate is that Amazing Grace is sung 10 million times every year? It's, it's, a, it's a hymn of, of, of worship that God has the power to deliver, to, to set us free. So I've asked Melody to lead us in the Chris Tomlin version of Amazing Grace. My chains are gone. I'm going to ask us to stand as we sing together this great, great hymn, Expecting God. I want you to know, if you're in a waiting room right now, a waiting room of pain, that God has the power to break your chains and to set you free. Let's worship as we sing here. Amazing grace. Shall soon. 
dissolve like snow the sun forbid to shine but God who called me here below will be forever mine will be will be Father God, I thank you that today you broke us some chains, that today you set some people free. And Father God, there are people watching us. There are people listening, hoping there is a God. There is a way. And I pray, Father God, you would inspire all of us to be a witness, a light for you in the waiting rooms of life as we worship you, as we praise you, as we pray to you. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now, as we close this morning, I'm going to invite our acolytes to come. And there's one more little course, one of my favorite all-time gospel songs, made, favorite by, made famous by a black gospel choir. And you know the words. We're just going to do the course. But I want to say, I want to hear you worship, church. And I'm going to actually turn the microphone on, and I'm going to sing up here with melody. So you all got to drown me out, okay? Oh, happy. Jesus Christ, who can break chains, can knock down doors, go in his peace and power. Amen and amen.